Too many families are forced to face the unthinkable, the death of a child. And from that horrific ground zero of loss, the shockwaves spread. Keeping your marriage together at that point, keeping your life together, seems impossible. But it is possible. And there is hope. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, we've got a pretty tough topic to deal with today, but fortunately we've got someone pretty fun to deal with it uh, together with, and that is Trafford Fisher. How are you, Trafford? I'm very well, Kent. It's great to have you uh, back in the studio. Now, Trafford is a family life educator who works for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, covering the whole South Pacific region. I guess that must involve a fair bit of travel, Trafford. Yeah, it does a bit, but it's exciting. It's all of Australia, New Zealand, and the major Pacific islands, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, Vanuatu. Uh, it's just a lovely area to work. Oh, I'm very fortunate. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing drinking something out, out of a holiday pineapple with a, with an umbrella. Is, is there much of that going on? No. <laughs> if only that would, would be lovely. I remember <laughs> the Cook Islands just look beautiful. They're all fabulous islands. Now, usually we go out there, we're doing workshops and seminars and uh, teaching. So we don't always get a chance to look around, but the small bit we have, it is fabulous. No, that's excellent. Now, as I just mentioned, Trafford, we are looking at a pretty tough topic today. And that is, I guess, a lot of parents worst fear, it'd have to rank right up there, and that is the death of child. It's it's a horrific thing, isn't it? And I imagine you've had contact with families going through that? Yes, I have, Ken, and, and you're right, it's it's most, yeah, you're right, it, it's a, just a horrible thing. It's a huge loss for any parents when they have to say goodbye to a child. It's one of the, it's just beyond belief sometimes for couples to deal with that incredible tragedy. Yes, it mm. is. It's just a really big issue. Wow. And I actually, I mean, you mentioned couples, but I've actually heard that for siblings, it's incredibly difficult. I've actually heard it said that the death of a sibling for a child is actually more traumatic and has a longer lasting effect than the death of a parent. Have you heard that? No, I haven't as such, but it doesn't surprise me, Ken. Mm. Uh, you know, when when kids are really close and siblings are really close, to lose that... And I, I, look, I have, when I think about twins, I know for mm. twins, it's a, it's particularly significant. But you're right, any any loss for, for a close family particularly is just a massive uh, mm. issue. Mm. I mean, look, grief and loss is difficult at, at the best of times, but when it comes to the the impact of, of losing a child on, on the parents in particular, because that's, you know, what we're going to be focusing on for the next, you know, 25 minutes or so. Yeah. What, what, what's the impact on, on a family? Ken, there's so much happening. I, I think of a mum who, you know, a dad, of course, but a, but a mum who carries a baby almost a full term and then for unknown reasons, the baby doesn't make it. To have all those dreams shattered, the, you know, that a mum and a dad can picture that little baby. Sometimes they know the gender, of course, but they, yeah. they have a dream of this baby's going to, uh, you know, they'll watch this baby grow and, and learn to ride a bike and go to school and establish friends and, and, and high school and university, that life dream of what this baby is going to become as an adult, it's all gone, just oh. like that. And and to lose that, not only do you lose the physical baby, if we can say that, but all the dreams and ambitions and hopes that you that you had for that little child, it just changed dramatically. 
So it's a it's a huge thing. It's kind of like a lifetime thing. You know, you and I lose something. We lose our keys. You know, it's just so different. When we lose a child, it's just a lifelong thing. So it has huge impacts. And I think one of the key things, of course, is the emotions that it raises. Mm-hmm. The research suggests there's quite a, a breadth of emotional responses to uh, to the loss of a child. Of mm. course, there's all the shock, you know. And again, let's, let's be open and honest. And sort of a baby may die of illness or sadly an accident, a car accident, or just reading recently of a, of a family who had to grieve the loss of their little baby that was sadly and overwhelmingly run down by the father in the, in the driveway. Oh, he just didn't no. see the little baby, you know. The, the, the shock, the sadness, there's a lot of guilt yeah. When, when a baby or, or a child or, or dies. always asking your questions yeah, yeah. questions you know, could I have done different should I have done something yep. different who yep. whose fault was it who do I blame and that that can certainly be a part of the grieving process isn't it, it like is. seeking it's, for reasons it, exactly looking for and understand we're looking for reasons and the, mm. and the guilt it can be overwhelming mm. a lot of regret uh, associated with that you know we 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 should have done this. There's a lot of shoulds. We mm, should have mm. done this. We should have done that. We, you know, we should have done more of that. A lot of anger, which of course is a secondary emotion after fear and loss, and we get angry, we get frustrated. A lot of resentment, and just all of those emotions are fluctuating all the time. Mm. And I think we need to encourage parents who do sadly face this situation to embrace their emotions, not deny them or ignore them. Just say, "Hey, this is real." You know, I'm angry. To just now. I'm sad. I'm, all those emotions are real and, and to be embraced as much as possible. They can be scary, especially anger and all that fear. But it's it's all part of that process of our, you know, our, the way we react to a loss. Sure, sure. So in that regard, Ken, I think we need to throw out the timetable. You know, the, uh, the, right, yeah. Is there a timetable? Look, I don't think so. Every person will deal with this uniquely mm-hmm. and differently. And... and I think to have a timetable, look, by next month, I'll be here in the month. No, that doesn't work. And we mm. can feel as if we're, what's that little saying, you know, three steps forward, two back. Mm-hmm. You know, emotionally we'll be in a turmoil. And I don't think there's a set timetable at all. Yeah. It's it's interesting you say that, Trafford, that, you know, if everyone uh, grieves differently because, you know, sometimes we talk about in, in relationships, we talk about love languages, you know, everyone has a different love language, a way that they, you know, understand and receive and prefer to, to mm. give love. Is it a similar thing when it comes to grieving? Do people have different, you know, grieving mechanisms, different grieving languages? And and I guess if we think about a couple in particular, what happens when those grieving styles don't necessarily match up too well? You know, one, one of them wants to withdraw, the other one wants to, you know, talk it through constantly, for example. Yeah, spot on, Ken. I think that's very true. You know, and generally speaking, men, and I know it's a, it's a generalization, men will tend to lock down and, and, mm. and go quiet. We, we tend to think inside our heads. Mm-hmm. So we, re- we resolve issues by processing it internally. We don't talk about it a lot. And the real risk here for men, I think, and again, a generalization, but men are at risk for shutting down and dealing with their grief internally by themselves. And and whereas a, a woman might be more open, she'll cry. It's, you know, it's culturally and socially, it's okay for a woman to cry and not so much a man. We're mm. getting better at that. But, you know, that whole issue of how do we express our emotions? How do mm, we mm. share them? And you're right, when there's a, a difference, couples will really need to work at recognizing we mm. grieve differently and that's okay. Not right or wrong, just different. Mm-hmm. And I really need to take that right and wrong. I'm grieving the right way. You're not grieving enough or, you, you know, you're not grieving the right way. 
it'd be really important for couples to say, okay, look, we do this differently. It's not right, not wrong, just different mm-hmm. and not punish each other for that, but stay in touch and, and recognize, hey, we do do this differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I imagine there must be a, an impact on a lot of relationships when uh, when a child is lost. Is it the case that you know divorce rates increase due to the death of a child? It's interesting, Kent. That that I'm going to call it a theory. Uh, not sure where it emerged, but there's this belief, maybe mm. more than theory, belief that couples who lose a child will have a gray, uh, a far greater mm. uh, chance mm. of divorcing. There's been some recent articles to suggest otherwise. And in oh, fact, really? they, yeah, they suggest that 12 to 16% of couples who lose a child divorce. Mm-hmm. But when they asked the couples who, who divorced about that, about 40, roughly 40% said it was the loss of the child that led to the divorce. So well over half are saying, no, it wasn't the loss of a child, it was mm. other factors. So I think that's encouraging, not that we want any percentage of divorce, but mm. it's encouraging to know that yeah, we can have some, some optimism in this, mm-hmm. that it's not a given that you know a couple lose a child in some way, well, they're pretty well going to divorce. No, not the case mm. at all. And I think we need to grab that and that's good news. Yeah, well, yeah, fair enough, Trafford. But I think, I mean, common sense would tell us that if you're in the middle of going through grief and, and as we've been saying, possibly, you know, with different grieving styles, that is going to put strain on a relationship, surely. I mean, surely the, the same level of openness and intimacy and let's have a good time together and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff is going to be, you know, challenged or threatened in some way by the, the whole grieving experience. No question, Ken. And I think, I think again, if, if couples can recognise that that's going to be a part of the process, so even mm-hmm. sleeping, eating, you know, doing all the usual things they do, for some couples, they, they share that for, for a fair while, it's about survival. Mm-hmm. They do everything just simply to survive. They are so emotionally turmoil, physically reaction. They feel ill. They don't feel like eating. They don't feel like sleeping. Mm-hmm. They walk around at night time. They, you know, and it takes some courage and commitment to say, I need to sustain myself and our relationship in this journey. Mm. Let's journey together. What are we going to do to take care of each other? How are we going to deal with these times? And, uh, you know, even work, as I think about it, Kent, some mm. couples will take time off from work to, to deal with their with their, their time of sadness. And often workplaces, of course, have a bereavement policy. It can be very, very supportive at this time. Take time, take time off work. Mm-hmm. Others, and again, I'm thinking possibly men more than ladies, but will go back to work and dive into their work as a way of dealing with that grief mm-hmm. and commit heavily to their work. But again, there's some uh, research that suggests that couples who are grieving, people who are grieving, aren't that effective at work, understandably. Mm-hmm. So they're encouraged, hey, take time off, especially, you know, whether it might be in constructions that we're at high risk when you're not concentrating, you know, take time out and just learn to, to deal with the fact that you are in grief, you are in a time of huge loss, mm-hmm. your body, mind reactions are all, you know, over the place, look after yourself. So it's about self-care. Yeah, yeah. And, and I imagine, Trafford, that if, um, if you're a person of faith, um, you know, the loss of the child is going to be a real challenge to you know, to your religious beliefs, to your sense of a of a loving God, of you know, there being a sense of purpose in your life. You know, you're asking these questions: why, why, why? Believing that there is supposed to be a grand plan, believing that there's supposed to be a, a loving God. This must really you know, throw things into disarray spiritually. 
Oh, no question. Can I, in fact, I was reading an article recently where a a guy expressed exactly that, that he had this sort of general belief that, you know, if he lived well and did well and and cared for his children as best as he could, then everything would go really well. And when mm-hmm. this child died, it was, a, it, was a, it was a car accident, it just threw everything to bits. His whole belief system was just shaken. And he admitted it was an incredible challenge for him to hang on to the faith that he had, mm. but he ha- admitted he had to rebuild and, and, and just add in some other components to the story, some other jigsaw pieces, if you like, because mm-hmm. he, he recognized that, you know, that belief most probably wasn't entirely real. Mm. So you're right, God can get a huge kick at a time like this. And again, we need to understand that and 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 when we may have friends or even family who are who have a strong faith but express a real disappointment in God anger with God resentment mm. at God we don't punish them for that we don't berate them for that we put our arms around and hug them and say hey let's journey together here mm. because it's just such a huge thing mm. so you're and, right and, and God can take it traffic ah, yeah, he can he can cope with that he can get cope with a lot of anger and, and hurt but it highlights can when it may be as friends, mm. we do need to be sensitive to what we say. Family members and friends, when someone's going through grief and loss, we really need to be sensitive to just offering nice words and platitudes. We think mm. we're comforting them. And sometimes we say words that comforts us, but it's insensitive to mm. them. Mm. So it takes real good wisdom. And, and, and I remember something somewhere, Ken, an article where it talked about people of faith who have good friends, but those friends are a little insensitive in that issue. And, mm-hmm. and they're saying things like, come on, it's time to get over you. You, aren't ever, you haven't got enough faith in God. You need to believe more in God. We need to set some boundaries mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. those friends because that can be very draining. And, and you know, we Destructive, need... Destructive, really. Yeah, it is. It really is. Wow. It's, it's It just adds more to the punishment. So friends who think they might be adding some, adding some help are really hindering the process. Yeah, yeah. But good supportive friends who can put an arm around us and journey with us and grieve with us, cry with us, laugh with us. Mm, that's mm. gold. It's it's really hard, isn't it, as a friend. You feel like this is a horrific situation. I need to have some answers. I need to have some solutions here. And, and sometimes I guess you you know, you come up with something, anything, and you clutch at straws and, oh, there you go, I've given an answer. But not realizing perhaps that sometimes it's best to say, you know, I don't have an answer. You know, I feel your pain. I feel your confusion you know, I wish I could fix this, but I can't. All I can do is just, you know, be here with you. Mm, exactly. Yeah. I, can I share the personal story? My sure. younger brother died and I was sitting in the hospital with him on his last weekend mm. and several people called. One friend particularly came in. I'll always remember it. There was a chair beside me. Mm. And when he came in the room and he saw my brother there, he said, oh, this is, this is sad. This is terrible. And he sat down beside me and I look on reflection, I think it'd be 15 to 20 minutes. He didn't say a word, mm-hmm. just sat there. It was the most profound experience to have that incredible support. And then someone else came in and stood at the end of the bed and was quite anxious. I don't know what to say. Oh, this is terrible. Uh, you know, and he, and he was sort of wringing his hands and anxious. And I found myself feeling a need to support him. You know, his anxiety was, was, wasn't comforting at all. So be a non-anxious presence, mm. to be a non-anxious presence in, in a time of grief. Can I just come back to what you're saying about yeah, the yeah. faith? I, I, recognizing, you know, all diverse faiths, who are among our listeners, we highly respect that. Mm. 
I think for the Christian person who does believe in the second coming of Jesus mm-hmm. and and the texts in Scripture that speak about, you know, the, the dead in Christ will rise first. Mm, yeah, this, um, this is what First Thessalonians chapter 4, I think. Yeah, yeah where yeah. it talks about, you know, the, the, those who have died are being raised to life and the incredible mm. encouragement and warmth that that provides a believer mm. where I know my child, my son and daughter has died, but scripture describes that as a sleep mm. and in, and in, in, in Jesus' time, he will raise them to life again. I, I remember as a kid, there was this family who, who lived not far from us, Kent, they mm. were real characters. And I remember the mum must have been upset with the son one day, one evening, I, the, the voices carried across the clear night yep. and she said to a boy she said I hope God has lost your plan because I'd hate to see another one like you and I always laughed at that you know <laughs> I hope he's lost your your, 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 your your kit to make you again and it was it he hasn't he hasn't lost it yeah, uh, as a Christian believer, he hasn't lost that he's got the master pattern there, and mm. he can restore and remake somebody new, and a profound mm. comfort and support. Uh, yeah, well. And I would encourage any person out there of faith to hold on to that faith. Yes, it'll get kicked. It'll it'll you may have to reshape it a tad, mm. but hang on to that faith and and allow it to sustain you and support you and and carry on this journey. No, that's that's fantastic, Trafford. Now, look, the focus of, of our chat today is um, sort of based around an article that appears in uh, this month's Signs of the Times magazine, the uh, the July magazine. It's entitled Still Standing, Growing a Stronger Marriage After Losing a Child by, by Victor Parachin. And he goes into Trafford in, in this article into a number of sort of practical suggestions about, you know, how to go on. Well, yeah, how to go on in in the first place, and how to perhaps heal uh, from that experience of of grief. Can can we talk about that? Sure. You know, how to, how, how yeah. to how to cope? How to yeah? How to heal? Yeah, I think he he raises some really neat points, and I think he, as one of them he says, accept one another's emotions, which we've touched on a bit. Mm-hmm. That we all grieve differently, as you said. We mm. love differently. We 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 got different personalities, and we need to accept that and mm. say, hey, my wife is is open. She cries a lot. That's draining because as a man, I'm not sure how to best comfort her, but I need mm-hmm. to ask her. How can I comfort you? And sometimes just that's a hug, it's a hold. Mm. As a man, I might retreat. It's just the way we do it. Let's learn from that. Mm. One article I read, Ken, in this issue said, try every day to spend 30 minutes together. Mm. At the end of the day, check in with each other, and it will be very difficult to talk about. Sometimes just hold hands, hug and hold. It might be too Mm. painful and hurtful to talk about it, but just simply let each other know, hey, we're on this together. We're going to journey together. We're going to survive this together. And I think that make a commitment to stay together at this time. Research uh, tells us clearly that a a married couple will survive long term or one mm. of the fastest course of a long-term marriage is that mm. commitment to stay together. Mm. You make a commitment, we are going to journey together. We're in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And if couples in a, in a moment of grief and loss, at a time of grief and loss, are able to say, we're going to sustain that commitment, they picture this, we're, we're glued, you know, we're stuck mm, together, that's sure. it, this is what we desire, and we're going to continue to do what we've done to, to, to build that, so we stay connected at the end of each day, we support each other, we keep checking in. Yeah, I, and, and I guess, Trafford, if you've made those traditional marriage vows, you know, for better, for worse, in sickness or in health, then you think, well, boy, you know, when, when I said for, for better or for worse, I didn't imagine it would be this bad, but, you know, but nevertheless, here we are, and, and yeah. it seems that... Uh, 
spouse can actually be, you know, one of the most powerful allies through that grief process. You know, the person who perhaps you're able to be most open with, even if there are times that you just want to be silent. You know, surely there are other times when you can say, look, there are times when I do need to withdraw. There are times when I don't feel like talking, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. I mean, yeah, there does need to be some openness there, doesn't there? And some, no, yeah. some self-awareness. So we, so we know we're checking in regularly and saying, hey, this is where I am just now. Yeah. And we, and we know we're, we're, we might be doing the journey a little differently, but we're mm. on the journey together. I think you're mm. right. No, we know, hey, we're on this journey together. I, I, one thing that I, I think is important, Ken, is to accept mm. moments of happiness. Yes, one, one of the, you can feel guilty about oh, that, can't you? Especially with, you know, when we've lost a child or even a partner, but if a child, we think, oh, I'm not showing respect if I'm happy. Mm. I, I need to sustain this grief and loss and sadness as a way of letting my partner know I really miss them mm-hmm. and a child, I really miss them. And, you know, though, but I think we need to recognize that there, there's going to be moments of happiness and we need to enjoy those as much as we can and grab them and cherish them mm. and recognize that, hey, you know, Life is, you know, sun and, and rain and, and green and dry and, mm. and, and, a, and a sunny green spot is to celebrate. So mm. we need to, to accept happiness and, and, and take those small steps where we continue to recognize that, you know, it sounds a bit of a fraud, but life does go on. Mm. Uh, mm. Life does go on and it's reshaped, reformed in some way, but we do go on and so all the usual uh, celebrations of, of, of life around us need to be cherished. Mm-hmm. But as as maybe you mentioned earlier, Ken, a celebration of a child's birthday, the anniversary when they died, that mm-hmm. can be incredibly challenging because it raises oh, all boy. of that grief and loss. So how do we celebrate happiness? It's another birthday when it's, you know, the very child they're going to celebrate isn't there. Yeah. And that's going to take some good courage some good ways of how do we deal with this? How do we make this a special time? Yeah. Um, and that's a constant <coughs> thing, isn't it? Oh, oh, not a constant thing, but it's mm. something that's going to come up. I mean, you know, here's Christmas dinner. You know, we're maybe two, three years down the track, but, you know, we're all sitting around the Christmas dinner table, but there's, even if there isn't a physical gap there, there is an empty space, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a parent's mm-hmm. heart, in, oh. in, in a sibling's heart where yeah. they think, you know, my child should have been sitting right here laughing with us. And, and what can be some of the happiest times of, of the year can sometimes be, you know, sad times that sort of bring it all, all back in a rush. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and all normal when all those emotions and all those memories emerge. It's all normal, all understandable. And yeah, again, yeah. we just need to find a way of, you know, saying, hey, we, we celebrate his life, we remember and we, and we, yeah, we, we do that with honour. So Trafford, it's a bit of a cliche, you know, maybe, but I think there's some truth in it. You know, when we're talking about, you know, this particular area of grief that, you know, people say the person who has died, you know, wouldn't want you to go on miserable for the, for the rest of your life. You know, you're saying sometimes we feel like we're honouring the, the person who, who has, who has fallen asleep by remaining sad. Whereas in fact, it, it honouring the person properly may actually involve allowing ourselves to be happy, allowing ourselves to enjoy life. I think you're spot on. I think you're right, Kent. I, I think to continue in, in deep grief, you know, we acknowledge the grief, we, we, we don't minimise it in a way, but I think they're each individual at a certain time and mm. over time. There's, mm. I don't think there's, you know, as we said, throw out the, the, the timetable, but at a certain period of time over time, 
I do think we we recognise and accept that uh, you know this death has occurred, that it's we, we've grieved and lost, but we start to be more involved in in life generally. We we do move on in mm. some way, and I think when we if we find that difficult and it really is impacting our health and our well-being, our relationships, we do need to maybe get some professional support. Sure, and it's, sure. it's a very proper thing to do to seek some counselling, some therapy, a good advisor, counsellor, say, how do I accept this grief? How do I acknowledge in a real way the loss, but also commence, uh, you know, enjoying mm, life. Mm. No, I think you're right, Ken. And again, individually, we'll do that differently, but we do need to make that journey. And I think generally we do that by taking small steps. We don't try and accomplish huge things, mm, but we take mm. small steps and, and give ourselves permission more and more to, to celebrate life and all the good things around us. Mm. It's interesting though, Trafford, that sometimes it seems, you know, as we're grieving, we get into this mindset that, you know, I should be over this by now, whether it's an expectation that you've placed on yourself or that you feel other people are placing on you. You feel like I shouldn't, you know, say the name of my child anymore. I shouldn't talk about that. It'll upset people. People think I'm, you know, I'm going on and on about it. But I think the opposite's the case, isn't it? To It's it's great to naturally bring the, you know, the name of, of, of your loved one into conversation, you know, oh, you know, they would have loved this or, oh, you know, tell a story about something they did when they were little that was cute. It doesn't have to be a, a sad thing. It's just, you know, this person and the memory of this person is still a part of our family. It's, it's not about banishing them, yeah, is it? No, and I think you, you're right. I think if we can find some fun stories, some, some happy memories and declare those and share those and, and to celebrate those, you're mm. right. Now, sadly, Ken, when, when, and I think the article that, that you mentioned talks mm. about that, when it's a little baby, there's not a lot to celebrate as yeah, far as time. because there aren't a whole lot of memories. Yeah, yeah, there's not a whole lot of memories. Whereas, a, you know, a child, a, a teenager, there's a lot of memories. So uh, it's going to be different again, but... Mm, mm. We do need to uh, use the child's name. Let's mm, talk about mm. Jenny or Bill or Paul or Sue. Mm. Yeah, some people in in their desire to think they're comforting, well, tell me about the deceased or, you know, as you said, they don't talk about it. No, mm, we, yeah. tell me about Jenny. And, and, uh, and other people around, like supporters as well, think, oh, I won't mention it. I don't want to bring that up and, and make them sad. Whereas, in no. fact, a, a lot of, you know, bereaved parents actually say, oh, I love it when someone actually brings up the, you know, the name of my child yeah. who's passed away. It, I think that's a real honour. Yeah, that's right. It yeah. shows shows me that they're remembering them too and it opens the door for me to be able to, you know, let a little bit of that out too and not yeah. to feel I have to hold it in. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, Again, we, we, we keep sharing it'll do different. We, we do it different. That's okay. But um, mm. some some couples will have a, a memorial gathering mm. apart from, say, a funeral service. They'll have a gather all their friends and have a, have a, a memory of something. And, mm. you know, or they'll set up a web page, mm. uh, a scrapbook where they take photos and, you know, do this, do this lovely mm. memorial kind of thing. Uh, others set up a scholarship or a trust or, or, or a, a foundation cha- or, a or charity. charity. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous. And I think of, you know, some of the, the well-known Australian families who've lost a loved one, uh, who've who've done that, and and it's become a very you know familiar thing for a lot of people. I, I really honour that. Not everybody can do that. That's fine, mm. but. Mm. We need to find ways of celebrating the child who we've who we've said goodbye to, and as you said, who's sleeping, whether it's a baby or teenager at any age, and 
uh, when my brother died, Kent, he was 45. Mm. And I remember my, my own mum saying, no mother should ever have to say goodbye to a child. Mm-hmm. And she felt that, that grief and loss terribly, as did my dad. So, you know, we're speaking across all ages here, mm-hmm. uh, from, a, from a little you know, baby in Euro right through to, to an adult who's still a child. Yeah. Sure, sure. And, and look, I mean, it, it's an unthinkable thing and it's something that, you know, we, we all, you know, hope to avoid. But I guess, you know, any of us who lives a, a good long life ourselves is very likely to have to confront this at, at some point, you know, along their life's journey. So as, as horrific as it is, it is normal in, in some really sad way. And you've really helped us with some uh, practical tips uh, today, Trafford. Thanks you know, so much for your time. Thank you, Kent. And uh, we should say, of course, that you know, if listening to uh, this episode has, has brought up some difficult feelings for you, please you know, seek the advice of a trusted support person. You know, have a chat. Don't just, don't just hold it in. And if that's not an option for you, try Lifeline. Uh, you can call them on 131114. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 